Looking to find your next talented staff member? Want to help students get a leg up in their chosen industry? Did you realise you could try before you buy for 12 weeks? It's not as onerous as you think, and it doesn't matter whether you get domestic or international students. Jared Holland started out as an accountant and, as part of his coursework for a Masters of Entrepreneurship, found a few gaps in the international student market, namely that they found it hard to get jobs after study. He and his business partner Dom founded Outcome.life to implement solutions for the opportunities he uncovered. Did you know there are three main barriers for international students? One, lack of network. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Two, industry experience. When a manager looks at CVs, they don't look at marks or where you studied, they look for experience. Three, local experience. Businesses tend to disregard experience from offshore. They look for local expertise. Jared and Outcome.life is changing people's lives. And if you listen to our conversation, you'll find out how easy it is for you to do it too. Enjoy. Jared Holland, CEO of Outcome.life. Welcome to Discipline. You finish at St Kevin's College, a prestigious Melbourne school with an incredible history and brilliant alumni. And then you go to the University of Melbourne, study a Bachelor of Commerce, focus on accounting and finance. Firstly, did you always want to go into accounting and finance when you were a boy? No. <laughs> what, what did you want to do? So it was a process of elimination. So when I was finishing school, I was seeing mum take me down to a whole lot of career counsellors because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And then worked out that commerce was the, probably the broadest degree you could do. And so I got into Uni Melbourne to do commerce. And then there was four majors in commerce that you could go down. That was accounting, actuary, management, and marketing. Yep. But actuary, I'm not smart enough. Yep. Uh, marketing wasn't as sexy back then. <laughs> and then management, I thought, well, how the hell would you be a manager when you're a grad? So the only one left over was accounting, and there was more jobs in accounting than the other three. So I, choice. so I majored in accounting. Yep. And then when I graduated, I got a graduate job at Picture Partners. Yes. So I ended up becoming a you know, graduate through that whole um, system. And next thing you know, I've ended up as CFO and the rest of it is you know, history stated in accounting and finance. So I sort of fell into it because it was you know, working out a, a, a direction to go that sort of made sense. And you travelled around a bit as well? Yeah, I spent a couple of years in London. Um, Royal Bank of Scotland? Yeah, did uh, investment banking for a little while. Can't say I'd be rushing back into investment banking, uh, but I was I was there during the GFC, so... Oh, that's not a good time to be in investment Well, bank. it wasn't, but it was. And you managed to keep your job through that? Yeah, I actually got hired during that, wow. sort of during that time, which was quite interesting. It was probably the last hire the bank made and they, they had a complete lockdown on it. And then at some point, you get into entrepreneurship, you do a Masters of Entrepreneurship. Did you do that in Adelaide? No, so I did. It was with the University of Adelaide. Um, so Picture Partners worked out and very smartly worked out that their clients are very entrepreneurial and a lot of their you know, clients are entrepreneurs themselves. They're a firm that focuses on the middle market. Yeah. And what they worked out is that staff probably weren't that entrepreneurial minded because they were all accountants, you know, myself included, so very analytical and and probably even backward looking too much as accountants do. And so they really invested a lot of money um, and resources into putting staff through a program, which was a Masters of Entrepreneurship Innovation. I was one of the first cohort to take that all the way through to a Masters. Um, 
it is the best education I've ever done. So, and doing that entrepreneurship and innovation masters was 10 times better than anything else I've done and ended up changing my life. And Picture Partners were obviously a very progressive firm because at the time, you know, they were a small tier two um, and they've grown into, you know, almost on the cusp of a tier one in some respects, but they're a massive firm now. So they were obviously, uh, and you were there during this period of growth in terms of clients, partners, officers, revenue, and the national ops manager. So, I mean, it sounds like a great time. Yeah, though, I'm so glad I went to Picture Partners instead of the big four. Um, I just think you get an extremely well-rounded, um, I mean, it's an education as much as you're working, but the amount that you learn because the way it works in pitches is that you are holistic across all your clients, whereas the big four can be very segregated. Yeah. So, uh, And then part of that time, yeah, I was the national operations manager for a couple of years, which sent me all around Australia every couple of weeks and up into Asia Pacific. That was a period where I didn't learn so much about technical stuff, but I learned I learned everything I know about managing people or dealing with Culture people and stakeholder is, management. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then once you start a business, the most important thing is people. When well, it's probably always the most important thing is yeah. people. But they're skills that aren't necessarily focused on and you don't realise you need them until you sort of maybe see how other people react to stuff. So you've done this incredible stint at pitches. Why leave? Yeah, so <laughs> there's a there's two light bulb moments, two penny drop moments. So doing this masters of entrepreneurship. Um, in innovation that that changed my life in that if I didn't do that course I don't think I would have ever left to start a business yeah um, which is I mean people say entrepreneurs taught or are they born that way I think I'm an example of someone that was taught in a way I think I always had it in me but I it needed a fire I need a bit of that education to sort of push me in the right direction yeah yeah um, and there's a guy Bob Beaumont who was a uh, a guy from Texas, I think, made a lot of money in oil and you know, he's this big American guy that was 60 years old and he came in to talk about um, his story. That the, the Masters was a lot about guest speakers, which is what I loved about it, very pracademic education. Yep, yep. And Bob was saying, well, when you're sitting in a retirement home and you're 85 years old and you ask yourself a question, how good was I, what's your answer going to be? So, well, you can go back to your corporate job every day for the next 50 years, but how do you know how good you were? So you only know if you have a crack. And so that was one of those moments I thought, I've got to, I've got to have a crack at starting so a business. So this guy was obviously a pretty inspirational speaker. Yeah, he was just, I mean, he just called it how it was, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. And I sort of, I, I really relate to people who are direct and you know, calls it how it is. So I knew at that point I had to start a business. And another thing, something else happened around that time. We had a, a you know, meeting in the boardroom. We had the client sitting on the side of the table you're on and I was sitting on this side and there we were advising them on their business, on their on accounts or tax or something. And I remember, I don't know, this thing just came over and said, I don't want to be on this side of the table anymore. Yeah. I want to be on that side of the table. Yes. And I want to be coming in here and I want these guys to be advising me on my business. Yeah. So those two things happened and I decided I've got to have a crack. And it was probably not till 12, 18 months later that, you know, I actually resigned and, and we started out coming to life. But, um, you know, there was definitely those moments I thought I didn't I didn't want to be a partner of the firm. It wasn't, you know, something that I was That was the path you life. were on? Yeah, I think, yeah. Like, that was the natural progression. And, you know, I was doing pretty well at pitches and I think I was pretty well respected. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to be stuck to those offices for the next 40 years. Yeah. You know, that's sort of decision to make but it's a it's a pretty courageous one i think when you think about it because you go from having getting paid every two weeks yeah you know, very 
um, comfortable job that is pretty stable. Yeah. And then you go to the other side and you go and start something. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've got to pay everyone two weeks, every two weeks, instead of, you know, me <laughs> automatically getting paid and the amount of stress that comes with that. So, yeah, it is. I mean, it is a courageous decision. Can. I thought I knew a lot about business when I left. And what I've learned in the last five years is like, 10 times more than what I've learned being in a corporate environment. Yeah. That you think you know it, but until you actually do it, yes, you've almost got no idea. And it's also that, um, you know, decision-making where if you're sitting playing with someone else's money, I always talk about the poker, you know, if you're playing with Monopoly money, it's easy to go all in or to make a large bet because you can chance your arm and there's no real impact. Yeah. But when you're dealing with your money or investors' money, yeah. Um, and there are significant consequences for getting it wrong. The way you think about business is is fundamentally different. Yeah. So, and, and for me, it was I didn't worry about me losing money, but I was scared as anything about losing investors' money because um, some of the people invested into our business were friends and family. The you know, our first seed round, and I was petrified of losing their money. I just I just couldn't handle it. There's a lot of sleepless nights thinking about it too. Like I look back now, I, I stress too much about it. But when you're in the moment, that was just something that I, I just, I've never been able to wrap my head around having a, if I ever had to call some of these people and say, by the way, I've, I've lost everything you gave us. And it's stupid because everyone knows the risks and I, you, you overemphasize and you overstress about it. But yeah, that's what used to worry me. Fear is a great motivator. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> you're right. Because that, that has been a key driver for, I mean, I'd, I thought I worked hard when I was in, I mean, as, as a lawyer, you would have known, God, you work hard yeah. and the hours you got to do. But I still think I work two times harder now in my own business, but I love it. Like, I don't, it's it's, not, a, it's a different work. kind of work, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's not a six-minute timesheet. Yeah. You, know, you don't care what it is. And if you're doing emails on a Sunday night, it doesn't bother me because it's all driving something that we're passionate about. And that, yeah. It's for us. And you found that uh, the, the business becomes all-encompassing. So, oh, yeah. yeah, it becomes part of your, your DNA. There's no such thing as work-life balance. No. It's, it's all the same thing. And I love it. It's, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't differentiate but at all and it doesn't bother me I, I in fact love work and I feel guilty when I'm not working but in a good way because I always if I'm you know if I take a day off I'm thinking I didn't create any value today how do I keep driving value um, I don't know maybe it's not a good headspace being maybe it's a brilliant headspace yeah. being I don't know but that's what I'm always thinking it becomes about. quite addictive I it's think. massively addictive yeah. yeah as much as fear is a great motivator um, choice and successful outcomes are also yeah. huge agreed. motivators yeah, agreed. so Talking about outcomes, outcome.life, how, how did this come about and how after 18 months of deciding you were going to leave Picture Partners and have a crack, how did this end up being the thing you, you got into? Yeah, so the advantage of being in professional services, and you would have seen this as a lawyer, is that you see dozens of industries and hundreds of clients and you get to know a little bit about all of them and some you go a bit deeper into, but you know, you've got a general idea about people doing lots of different things. And one of my clients was in international education. They're a college in Melbourne and Sydney and, you know, five and a half thousand students. Um, and so that was, I was the outsource CFO and then I ended up becoming the CFO for a little while as well. So that was the outside looking in into a sector that I saw there were quite a few problems and a few gaps and opportunities for solutions. And so what one of the guys I did the course with, the master's with, was a lawyer from Russell Kennedy, Adam Collar Buffalo, and we we made a pact with ourselves to catch up every two weeks and we had to bring three ideas each. And this is part of training your mind to be more entrepreneurial because being a lawyer and accountant, they smash the innovative entrepreneurial mindset out of you. Yeah. 
And so I knew when I was catching up with Adam, it was a catching up on Wednesday and the Tuesday. I didn't have any ideas yet. I was like, shit, I'll start looking around for ideas and you start coming up with stuff. And this is one of the ideas that came up. I said, well, you know, here's how the sector works and it actually started off looking at the recruitment of international students and how that happens. And we, the original business model was actually, um, and I got to write a business plan as part of my master's research assignment, which is a great way to study because if you want to go on deep into something, and you can interview people if you're doing it for education purposes. People tell you everything. Yeah. And so it was a great way for me to get all this insight and knowledge from just going and interviewing and all these very people. Very low risk. Oh yeah. No risk. And then I had to do an assignment, so I wrote a 42-page business plan. Wow. So, um, and that was based around initially on the education agent sector, and students are often recruited through agents, but agents have perverse incentives as to who pays more commission. Yep. So the union pays more commission if I'm an agent. I probably want to send you to the uni that pays me more commission because I earn more money. Whether that's right for you as a student or not is irrelevant. Yeah, It's all driven by how much commission is paid. And the commissions can get pretty outrageous in the, in the vet sector. They get up to 50%. So that was we looked at that and thought, well, wow. if we had a platform where you could make decisions based on where to study, based on the advice of other international students and cut the agency out and put it all through a platform. So we actually that that um, – thesis uh, I sent, I gave to my professor, Professor Murray Gillen, and he's one of the people who helped change my life too. That Murray called me up and said, Jared, we should have a coffee. Went and had a coffee and Murray said, Jared, you've got to do it. I said, what? He goes, you should do this. I was like, shit. Wow. Don't tell me that. Um, and so then I flicked it on to um, Dominic Saparito, who's now my business partner. Yeah. Um, you know, I see him more than I see my own partner. <laughs> and, uh, so, and he called me up five minutes later and he goes, I love it. Let's do it. I thought, shit, <laughs> don't tell me that. Uh, and so that was sort of born after that. We then, you know, put our heads on. And the advantage of being in corporate for a while is that you sort of hold on to your job as long as you can. Or you, so we started capital raising process and started talking to people and started getting things moving. Um, and then we are lucky enough to go and raise um, half a million bucks. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think luck has anything to do with it. Or, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I've, it's hard. Raising money's hard, and yeah. we raise it on the back of a business plan. So I look back now and think, God, how the hell did we do that? Um, but a lot of persistence and getting in front of the right people and telling the right story. And um, there, there is a perverse thing about raising money off the back of a business plan because when you've got this idea and you don't have a business, people see the blue sky and they mm-hmm. see the vision and they get emotionally uh, attached to this vision. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a business that's been going for two years and it's only turning over – $200,000, it's actually quite easy to value the business. Yep. Whereas if you've got a business plan, uh, people do get attached to this blue sky and yep. quite often attribute much more value yeah. to it. But ultimately, they were backing you and Dom. And people said that to me later, said, we didn't care what it was, we just backed you guys. Yeah. Like that. And I think that's, that's what a lot of investor funding is about, is actually backing the people behind the business because you can have the best idea in the world, but if you can't execute then the idea is just worth nothing. And I think the key thing that we learned along the way too is don't get stuck in your idea. We actually, our business, that business plan we wrote, we threw it in the bin nine months later yep. and we completely pivoted our business. And it's really important that you do not get stuck on your idea that it has to be exactly what you thought because there are some assumptions you'll make that are completely yep. wrong. Like 100% stuff will be wrong. What our experience was is that we were trying to solve the problem of where to go and get a degree. It's actually not that – yes, it's a, the way the system works is a bit problematic, but it actually works. 
it's actually not a big enough problem that needs solving because the, the agent market works. It's got yep. issues in it, but it works. The real problem was students getting a job. Like getting the degree was easy. You can go and get a degree at home for six grand, but getting a job was all, and we, this is by us and them meeting with students and listening to them. So we thought, well, the biggest problem is actually down here that is actually a massive one that needs solving. And so we pivoted our entire business to focus on employability for international students. So tell me then, international students, um, what is the pathway for them and why was there such a problem or is there such a problem of international students coming to our country, getting a great education in our universities, but then struggling to get employment? Yeah, so what, what we worked out was that um, there's three main barriers I think international students face in getting a job that local kids don't face that I didn't face when you know I was a graduate. First one is lack of a network. So it's not not what you know, but who you know. Everyone knows that saying. And if there's one thing I've learned in the last five years, I, that has never been more true. Everything happens. I don't care what country of the world you're in. Everything happens with people who you know. Yeah. People want to do business with people that they already know and they already trust, and, and that just like, makes sense because. Yeah. And you want to do business with people who you like. And so that that's like 10 times bigger barrier, I think, than anything else is not having that network. Second one is industry experience. Businesses now want grads who already have industry experience. And the reason they do is because they can, because a good percentage of graduates or students already have experience. There's people studying a commerce degree that are already working part-time as an accountant. Yep. So when you look at CVs or when a, a, you know, a line manager looks at CVs, the first thing they actually look for is who has experience. They don't really care where people studied, what they studied, and no one's ever asked us about marks. No one really gives us stuff. But you're going, we use zero in our accounting team. You already know how to use zero, right? You are head and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah. So industry experience comes really important. And the third one is local experience. Businesses tend to disregard experience from people Other from countries. offshore. Yeah. yeah. Good example, we meet a lot of Colombians who have worked as an engineer back in Colombia. And you know, it could be seven, eight years as an engineer, and they come in, they can't get a job. That's even extraordinary. Though, and we've got a shortage of 60,000 engineers mm-hmm. in this country. So you look at that and you think, well, there's a massive mismatch here, but for whatever reason, we just don't rate overseas experience. And so we looked at, so, well, they're the three barriers I've got. How do we break down those barriers? Well, if you do an internship as part of your degree, you get local work experience, you yep. get industry experience, and the best thing, so that's my phone, and the best thing you get is... Um, a network, like there's no better place to build up a professional network than actually in the workplace. And at the same time, we could see that the unis were all moving down a path of work integrated learning, where they were now moving much more towards a model that America has, where you do an internship placement as part of your degree. And identify that in 2016, and that luckily it's ended up being true because now there are every uni is trying to do work placements as part of degrees. They outsource that to us. We've built the tech to do the whole entire end-to-end system. And so I think timing in business is important. Yes. And I think we've been very lucky with timing. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny you said American because I actually, my next thing said, um, let's focus on internships. It seems to be an American concept. And I think in Australia, you know, in, in America, people work for free for quite a period of time. And it's almost seen like a rite of passage yeah. out of college to take a- They do it some, two or three times, yeah. not just once. But they build up their CV, they yep. build up a raft of skills. In Australia, I know that it's harder to do an unpaid internship unless it's connected to your education and it's yep. a course requirement. Um, please set the record straight on internships in Australia. Mm. How does one navigate these bureaucratic requirements? Yep. So Fair Work Australia is a really important stakeholder. It's, a, it's, illegal to, it's unlawful to work in Australia for free unless... 
there's two conditions. One, you're volunteering, which would be someone might follow you around and effectively shadow you, but they're not actually adding any value to your organization or doing something a normal employee would do. Or the second one is um, the placement is attached to a vocational program. So you're studying mechanical engineering, master's of mechanical engineering at university, you do a placement in mechanical engineering and you get course credits for that. Yeah. So as long as an attachment to vocational course, you can work unpaid lawfully in Australia. But you can't get the vocational um, person placement doing just making coffees or... No, of course not. Yeah. And that's a massive furphy that happens in that people think, oh, interns just make coffee. We've done 6,000 pl- internship placements. I've never had anyone complain to me that they were told to go and make coffees. Yeah. Zero. But everyone just uses that. Oh, you're just going to go and make right. coffees. Yeah. And you know, in a way, going to get coffees is great. If you go with another colleague to go and get the coffees, you get one-on-one time with a colleague for 10 minutes to go and get coffees. Yeah. It's actually how we like Every He's meeting I have is, do you want to go and get a coffee? Yes. Um, and that's what people get out of internships is the big thing is the network. So yeah. the time you can spend with more senior people is really valuable time. Um, but yeah, the, there are ways to do it properly. And obviously we're a trusted brand and we've um, cohabitated Victorian government um, here in Melbourne. We've been funded by Launch Vic, which is part of Victorian government, supported by Austrade, where every internship that we provide is all done bona fide. So yep. we've got contracts with the, the education providers to yep. facilitate their internship placements. Yep. We monitor the interns. We check in on them during the internships. We check in with the host companies. We do all the compliance documentation. So and we've built a bit of a, a brand. Now. If someone wants to get an, in, an intern, they know if they come through us, it's been done properly. The other thing we is we have insurance. So if you're doing a placement, the intern is not covered for work cover because it's not a work placement. It's not nice. an employment relationship, I should say. And we have a we cover professional indemnity and public liability. Okay. So our policy covers all of that for the the student that's on placement. So if someone just walked walked into your business and said, "Oh, I love your business. Can I can I just work for free?" And you're like, "Oh, look, you're a really nice guy. Right, come and just come work. I'll help you out." You're actually not helping them out because they're exposed and you're exposed. One, it's Fair Work Australia breach of Fair Work Australia. So if they wanted to then take you to Fair Work after three months you'd be liable to pay minimum yep. wage and superannuation penalties and the rest of it. And there's whole work cover issues there as well. Um, so we're a bit, bit lucky now is that now more businesses in Australia are going down this internship pathway where businesses are now using it as their grad recruitment because they effectively get to try before you buy. You can have someone come into your business for 12 weeks and you've got 12 weeks to assess if they're any good or not. And at the end of 12 weeks, if you like them, you stop from the job. If it's not quite the right person, then they've at least have a great experience for 12 weeks got during their, their internship. CV. Great so for the, to then yeah. go on to another role. Um, and that narrative in Australia I've seen the last 12 months is really starting to accelerate. More and more businesses are doing are taking on interns um, and we're very much shifting to other markets where it just becomes part of the culture. And when you've legitimised the process, which you guys have played a, a huge part in doing and you've had the backing of you know the right uh, institutional bodies, yeah. I mean, that helps break down the Huge. barriers. But I think for small businesses, and maybe this is a, a broader discussion, but I've all, always had a lot of people said, you know, I want to be in the VC world, you know, with Marketplace Ventures. Young people coming along said, I'll work for free for a month. Now, I would have loved to have given them a month where I could give them exposure to meetings and stuff like that. But because it's not connected to a coursework, because I didn't have the capital to pay for someone for a month, you just have to knock those people back. Yeah. and. That is very different to that American model where people will seek out an internship and 
they'll work for free for a couple of months. Yeah, or in a really low minimum, because minimum wage in America is so much lower. Like four bucks an hour. Yeah, and, that, and that's where it becomes more problematic in Australia, is that if you do want to bring someone property and you've got to pay minimum wage, it is quite expensive. Yeah. Um, but where you can help with those students, we have our own RTO now. We've got our own work readiness program. So students that aren't currently getting course credits from a university can come through our program. They've got coursework they need to do and they get a certificate of attainment. Once they've completed the coursework, they can then go and do an internship. Right. So we've got a vocational program yep. that's attached to the internship. It's all done bona fide or comes under our insurance. But we do get a lot of people that may have graduated, say, two years ago and can't get a job. Yeah. So like, I need to go and do an internship because I've got to get experience. And so we take them through our work readiness program. So you can send them down to us. We'll put them through that program and then we can, you know, we, we might push them to other companies as well, but they'd have yours to choose from to go and do an internship. Okay, so there's two very important things for businesses. Is there any other thing that businesses should know about internships so that they can help international students get a role and they can help themselves find some exceptional talent? Yeah, so look, it's open to domestic students as well, just that we do a lot of work with international students. Um, but really the main thing to know is it's not, it's not overly complicated. The compliance documentation isn't onerous, but you've got to do it compliantly, so do it the right way, as we've talked about. And then just make sure you've got the right people there to support the intern. So, um, you know, they are an intern. They're not going to be, a, we get people say, oh, I need an intern. I want a full stack developer. I'm like, well, go and pay two and a half grand a day that everyone else has to pay. So be realistic about what yes. you want the interns to do because the reason they're doing an internship is they're just starting out in their careers. Um, but we find attitude is the most important thing that businesses want. So the intern have a really good attitude. They've got Can eagerness. Do. They'll work, in the, yeah. work well in a team. Um, and then that the business provides a safe working place that's got to be safe and that you've got nice people in the business that will look after them. Yeah. So other than that, it's pretty straightforward. I would have thought a lot of these international students give them uh, any sort of opportunity to show and they'll show incredible attitude and aptitude for yeah. uh, an opportunity. Uh, we've had plenty of cases where six weeks into a 12-week internship, the company just says, when you come in tomorrow, we're paying you. We're, here's your employment yeah, contract. fantastic. We're now going to pay you because you've just been amazing. Uh, and that happens all the time. But without doing the internship, they never would have got that opportunity to prove themselves. Um, and so, you know, for us, that's you know, it's awesome when that happens. And it, for you personally, it's a it's a big change, not just from accounting to entrepreneurship, but from being in the client services business to changing people's lives and, and giving them moments where they appreciate the work you're doing. So you must have, you know, Obviously, it's hard to run a business, but you must have moments where the, the, the outcomes that you create for people provide it, you know, exceptionally uh, good um, smiles and oh, yeah. feel-good moments. It's probably once a week now we'd get someone send us a message on LinkedIn or some people even come to the office and say they go, they're so excited because they got offered a job. Um, you know, we had one girl recently uh, from Bhutan who was an engineer and she ended up getting a job at Yarra Tram. She calls it her dream job. And she says it was through the internship program that got her that job. She, otherwise, she wouldn't have had it. Um, and we've changed her life forever. Like she, would, I mean, she might have been working in hospitality or something before then, but now she's working as an engineer. And we've got to a size now where every week there'll be another one of those stories. And you're right, that is probably the most satisfying thing about what we do because yeah. hand on heart, we actually change some people's lives. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Um, well, let's go back to, to the drudgery of running a business. Um, you said you've you've grown massively. You've got offices all around uh, the country now. How did you grow? Um, you mentioned launch VIX, so a bit of government investment. You've got investors, yeah, and then a lot of organic growth. What, yeah. What's been the sort of mix and the secret to getting this 
Oh, I don't Brothers. know if there's a secret, but one that we we raised half a million bucks at the very start. And we haven't raised again. We are doing a, a capital raise now, and so we've that was Feb sixteen, and so now we're you know three and a half years later where we haven't had to raise again, um, and we've just financed it through revenue, and we've just made sure that you know where I believe the best form of funding is revenue. Yep, you don't have to dilute anything. Um, and it's just really grown organically and, you know, looking, trying to look after our clients as best we can. The best way to get new clients is when clients refer you to new clients. Um, and so as our clients have grown, I'm, I'm flying to Darwin tonight because one of our uh, education provider um, partners has got a campus up in Darwin and they're expanding up in Darwin. So um, I'm up there tonight to to start that process of us now moving into Darwin. So it's sort of we've just grown with our clients as that's happened. Tell you went to Sydney, tell you we've gone into oh, Perth. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like we've we've been pretty lucky up until now. We we've you know, we've built a you know, well over a million dollar business, um, and you know, two million this year without having to raise money again. But now to keep doubling you can't keep doubling revenue um with a balance sheet that's, you know, not a lot of cash, I suppose. You're always sort of looking at the what what is the cash and how long we got to go. So now it's getting some capital in there to strengthen our balance sheet that we can continue because yeah. now the numbers in absolute terms are getting bigger. Yeah. Um, there's a big opportunity in front of us and how do we run as fast as yeah. we can. Yeah, you can make a step change in yeah. how you can attack the market when you inject a bit of capital for yeah. resources. Just and need grow. some oxygen. Yes. <laughs> What's been the biggest challenge then, uh, you know, as an organisation? Is it getting that growth? Is it doing those deals with government? Is it doing the deals with the universities? Um, I, think, I think the hardest thing I've found or the biggest challenge in business that I I didn't foresee and I probably should have is people. Like the people side is probably the hardest thing to manage. And when you're now the head of a business, the culture starts with us and how we deal with people and manage our people and make sure one's happy. It starts, you know, with Dom and I. Uh, and that's been, it's a difficult part, like hiring the right people yeah. and who should be hanging around. And you, and you need different people for different stages of growth. So the people we need now are different people to what we probably needed two years ago. Yep. Um, I actually don't I don't hire anymore. I've taken myself out of that. Not your, your skill set? No. Nah. And um, and Steph, we've hired a COO, Steph, who's, who's been amazing. I've just said to her, look, I, I just want to meet everyone, but you have the, you have the say in who comes into your team. Yeah, I think, I think the people side of it is, and it's always going to be challenging. I, I think now, I look now ahead of it, we've got 25 staff, at the minute, and I've, I think, well, how the hell do these people manage these businesses with a thousand staff? Like, how do you like maintain that control and keep that culture as you grow to a size like that? And I'm sure you work it out as you go, good as you always people. do. But yeah, but getting good people, you know. And we've we've been very lucky to have really good people. They're very, very, you know, we're a startup. We don't pay, we pay below market rate, not above market rate. But we've had, you know, a lot of people want to join us and be part of the journey, knowing they could go and probably earn more money mm-hmm. elsewhere, but they just want to be part of it. Yeah. Um, and just finding those people that have that you know, sort of attitude. And, yeah. What about the stress levels? Uh, <laughs> first couple of years, did you ever get into a position where things are, you know, there are incredible grind, it's incredibly tough, and you just go, what the hell have I done here? Oh, yeah, there's been plenty of times I've lied <laughs> in bed. You go to bed on Tuesday night thinking, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm going to go shoot the stars. I'm going to take over the world. And then the next night you go to bed and you go, oh, my gosh, when I go and get a job back, like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, so it's like, I mean, people people tell the stories. It's up and down. It's, it's a roller coaster. Oh, and it absolutely is. Yeah. Like, it's in, absolutely incredible, the, the highs and lows that you have. 
Um, and there's one thing, and this is the advantage of being a new business partner. Dom's 15 years older than me and he's had a few businesses before. And one of his sayings is that nothing's ever as bad as you think it is or as good as you think yeah, it is. Right. So something you get a shit bit of news and it's never ever as bad. And, and it's always been that case. I'm getting better at it, but I've, I've probably, I'll probably wear it too much, yeah. particularly the downside stuff. Yeah. And then we don't celebrate the upside stuff enough. What about when you did have some tough situations? Did you ever, I mean, you obviously thought maybe I should just give up and go back and get a corporate job or did you ever just... So one, one of my motive, I've had a couple of motivations that uh, sort of downside motivations in a way, but one of them, I never want to lose other people's money. Yeah. And two, I never want to work for someone again, ever. <laughs> I just I, like, and there'll be times where I mean, like, I, we've got to make this work. I cannot go. I don't want to ever work for someone again. And I'd be terrible at it now. If I went back and worked for someone now, yes. I'd be... I'd be so crap. I just—I think I just pissed them off. Well, I think I'll give you the good news. After a few years of being your own boss, you actually become virtually unemployable anyway. <laughs> Probably, so yeah. you've got to find a way <laughs> to make it work. Otherwise, you're, yeah. you're stuffed anyway. Yeah, but there's been uh, there's definitely been those um, times where you think about that, and the particularly, I mean, even up until you know recently too. It's so easy to run out of money. Like you only need a few things to go wrong, and then all of a sudden, how much money you've got in the bank and one thing we've been good at managing is cost. Like, because cost is one thing we can control. I yes. can't, I mean, yes, you can influence revenue, but you can't. Someone else has got to make a decision about revenue. Whereas cost is all manageable by us. And so I've just made sure we manage. And one of our investors said this to me when at the very start, he goes, Jared, just make sure you manage cost. And I thought at the time, I was like, well, that's a weird course, I'm going to manage cost. But when you get into it, you yeah. realize that I see other people's businesses and how I think um, they spend money that I think is a little bit. You know, not the same way I would do it. Um, but we've just really been able to manage what our cash outflows have been. Yep. Um, and I think the lowest our cash balance ever come down is 140 grand or something. Yeah. So we've never had that point where, you know, we've been close and not being paid wages. Um, and I'm extremely grateful for that because everyone's going through the stress of doing that. Um, but that's always been a, a massive, and I, I've never, I never had any anxiety before I started a business. And next thing you know, you start a business and you start getting these sort of anxious feelings. And it's real. I feel sorry for people that have anxiety all the time. It is terrible. Like it's, it's debilitating. Bad. Oh, and there's some days where you know there has been um, times where like you can't think properly, you can't function properly, and you just get you focus on a couple of things. Might focus on five things all going wrong. Now the odds of all five going wrong is like slim to none. But you get this mindset of shit. This goes wrong. This goes wrong. This goes wrong. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And it's really easy to fall into that. Um, and that's been an experience for me since starting a business. I've never had that before. And it's only business-related stuff that I've actually felt that yeah. way ever before. Yeah. I think that's a good advice to any young business too is don't wait too long to actually try and get some advisors around you uh, in a formal way and try and pay them if you can. For people getting advisory boards, don't go and get someone who's a corporate advisor at KPMG because they're at KPMG. They're the wrong person. Yeah. Find someone who has had got a their business, hands dirty. got their hands dirty. Yeah, and if absolutely. the business failed, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Just get someone who's done it because you need those people advising you as you go through this journey. Just to finish off with some more about Jared Holland, uh, the quickfire round, what's the kindest thing anyone's ever said to you? Kindest? Um, actually, Di from Study Melbourne actually had a coffee uh, six months ago. She's with the Victorian government. and. She just got back from the big education conference in Perth and Dom and I were having a coffee with her and she said, oh, you know, you guys probably know it, but you guys have an amazing reputation. I said, oh, what do you mean? She said, oh, you know, I was at the conference and you, you have a really good reputation. 
And so well, we sort of didn't know that. Like, you know, you sort of do, but you sort of don't. But thank you. So I don't know, there's a really nice moment for Dom and I where we had someone that's, you know, quite senior in government in international education just coming from a, you know, a massive conference yeah. and came back with that really good feedback. Favourite band? Uh, Favourite band. So when, when I was 15, my favourite band was Friends of Rom. And I bought a, <laughs> I bought a t-shirt, so that helps. Um, oh, like, I actually love Vance Joy's yes. stuff. So yeah. he's a St. Kevin's boy too. Yeah, um, but I can listen to his stuff. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, he's a great Maybe artist. Um, fondest childhood memory. Wow, well, fondest childhood memory. Um, I probably my my best mate from school is the guy Nick Whelan. And we used to hang out all the time and just get up to mischief. And the BMX new... bandits? Oh, I sort of. Yeah, oh, we, all, we used to throw mud pies in the next door neighbor's pool. Yeah, we did that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but in pretty much any trouble you got into was Nick and I getting into trouble. So, yeah, it's probably not one moment. But my when I think about my, like, we live four, day, four doors down from each other. I think about my childhood. I spent so much time with Nick and you know, he'll be my best mate forever. And, you know, it's the, that whole childhood package yeah. that I think about. Um. Who is the person, dead or alive, you would most like to have lunch with? Um, right now, it would be Jurgen Klopp. Right. So I'm a massive Liverpool supporter. Um, but I, I love watching his pref- press conferences. And I think the reason why I like I reckon he would be an epic CEO of any business. Yeah. And the way, the respect that he has from all the plays, you can tell even in the press room how much everyone respects him. Um, you know, the, the owners of the... Um, from Fenway Sports, how much they respect him. He's charismatic. Everything he says is just honest and straight to the point. And I just think, I think he's absolutely great. I'd love to have dinner with Jurgen Klopp. Listen, Jared Holland, thank you very much for your time and insights, um, making a huge difference, uh, changing people's lives for the better, giving people an opportunity. It's uh, incredibly commendable. Thank you for your time and thank you for being on Discipline. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.